Kindness to me is the most attractive trait in any human being. Kindness in itself is as if one is communicating directly to another spirit. I call it a spirit dance. Irrespective of the style, kindness doesn't care about your backgrounds and cultures. Kindness knows no barrier. It transcends age, race, sexual orientation, political beliefs, religious beliefs, you name it. Every day in many different ways, our spirits need a little dance. Sometimes our spirits forget how to dance because our minds are in conflict. Everyday battles, internally and externally. Imagine if we all just took a moment to spirit dance with someone new today. Smile. Spread love. Be kind. Deep Dive with me, Vanessa Mdeh. You ever met someone you see in a picture? And in the picture, they look exactly like how you see them <laughs> in real life. But then in real life, sometimes you're disappointed by the picture or, you know picture usually it's the other way around in the case of my friend tonight today this morning this afternoon i have lost sense of time he is gorgeous a drop of godly heavenly delight <laughs> if i should say so myself i got my speaking and accents all i'm saying is you know when someone says you, you're prettier in person which happens to me never this is the case with my guest today. Please make some noise for Donnie. <laughs> that was a great intro. Thank Yay. you so much. I loved it. <laughs> Please welcome Septim Poppy. Hey. Hey. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. You know, I know a lot of people know your face because you're everywhere right now. <laughs> but would you like to tell us what you do? Well... I've been modeling for 10 years and I just I just signed um, a record deal with Warner in London so <laughs> So I've been model slash slash <laughs> slash 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 generation But yeah I've been working I've been finishing up the project right now and I have a I have a center for kids with special need up in Canada mm-hmm. as well so that's what I've been focusing on lately. Fantastic. So thanks for joining us today. You know, it's cool to interact with Africans in the diaspora, especially Africans who are making a global statement of what it is to be like celebrated as an African icon in fashion now, I can say proudly. I'm happy that you've got your slash. <laughs> My slash. Your slash <laughs> artist. Um, tell me a little bit about your journey. I know that You've been doing this for 10 years, but you've been doing it in several different places. So you just moved to L.A. from New York and before you were in Montreal, right? Yeah. So what was that journey like coming from Africa, if at all, or being identified as an African? Yeah. Well, I was born in the Ivory Coast, and when I was three, I got really sick. So my parents had to flee the country, go find, like, the best best way to keep me alive. And we ended up— Is this a familiar story? Yeah. Well, well, people— Well— 
I don't really talk about it that right. much, but when you people that know me know they're like, yeah, I was really sick when I was young, and that's why that's the only reason why I really left Africa. Oh, really? And yeah, because my parents already had lost one child, so when I got sick oh, as well, they're wow. like, okay, we need to, we really need to f- make this work and find a way to to keep this one. So that's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story of yeah success actually. Yeah, my parents are my biggest inspiration because of that because they really they left everything they had. My dad. My dad was a pretty successful uh, a businessman. He was dealing with everything in like technology and informatics. And my mom and my mom was just helping all the businesses around. So yeah, they were pretty well off. And and then I got sick, so they left everything they had and they moved to Canada. And wow. so it it always inspired me to uh, to just do greatness and be and just make them proud because mm-hmm. I feel like I owe everything I have to them. Are your parents still around? Yeah, they're still around. They're still in Canada. They're they're doing well. They're still in the cold. I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> do they do they do the weird thing that parents do when well, my mother never does this. I'll let you know for free. But do they do the weird thing that parents do when they see a big ass billboard of you? Do they take a picture like stop it with the kid out? Do they? Do yeah. you get pictures like this? Yeah, every now you and then. You have a million of those. Every now and then I get my mom's like, Oh, I just saw you. My dad is the one that that usually gives me like the the best foot pictures. I have a bunch of I have a folder full of pictures of my I'm dad. Sure, <laughs> I'm sure. Next to pictures of me, but I'll never forget one time I was because my parents just moved to Toronto two years ago. One time I was in Toronto. It was the holidays, so we're doing our holiday shopping and blah blah blah. And I get there and. I was with my mom and my dad, and there was a billboard of me, and I'm like, okay, you guys, I want to pick, I want a picture with you guys in front of this, and then right, that's one of my favorite. That's, that's one of my change. favorite pictures. That's the ultimate. What would it be? No, called a selfie. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, story where you move to the western world because of an unfortunate event but then you turn your lemons into lemonade for Mm, real for real so i'm just happy to watch you blossom for us it's interesting like in africa or as africans we don't really consider creative intelligence like modeling Mm -hmm. music um, whatever it is, whatever form of art, arts that you're doing, I believe modeling is an art as well, art form as well. They they don't usually consider this a professional or skillful thing to do. And our son is crying. Oh, I'm so Should sorry. we bring him in? Oh, my little baby. I just want to see if he's all right. Yes, okay. please. He's just tired. <laughs> so we're going to get to our son very soon. I say <laughs> our son because I'm just literally. I've been carrying him this We're afternoon. Africans. We're all raised together. I know, we all raise our kids together. But yes, like coming from an African background and knowing that, you know, a lot of people look down on the arts, look down on performers, look down on models, look down on how, how, what has this been like for you in the sense that you're actually providing for yourself and your family and you're creating such a huge imprint in the fashion world as an art, as a creative, as an artist, as a model, as a musician. What's the conversation like at home at the dinner table, number one? What is it like with your cousins back in Cote d'Ivoire? What is it like? You know what I mean? Like, what's the conversation like now? Well, I was lucky enough because cause I was studying special care counseling before. So I was working, mm. in, I was, was working in schools and in centers with kids with special needs from anything from physical to mental impairment. From, and, but I was usually focusing on kids with autism. Are you seeing my face right now? <laughs> like, you're just shocking me with this news. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what I that's what I used to do before modeling. So, um, 
So even my parents, they had a, they had a, a home daycare when I was younger. So I, I used to work there, help out there. That's that's where I got my I got my first aid and my CPR training, so I could be able to work to work at the um, at the home daycare with my parents. And then nice. and then from there, I decided, oh well, I should study this and like actually make this a job for me. And that's that's how I ended up in special care counseling and everything. But it's all the main reason for this is because I, I have a brother that has autism oh. and he's he's what 22 now right and he he really got better but unfortunately he can't really hold a conversation with him you can't you can't sit right. there and talk and like but he'll, he'll be able to tell you what he wants what he needs or or oh I want this so I don't want this things like that but you can't sit down and really have a conversation with him. So every now and then, there there's things. Oh, every now and then, there's things that still he's trying to communicate that we don't necessarily get. And just growing up overall, just seeing how my parents were dealing with it, kind of made me want to work in the field. Cause right. I just realized that, like we said, it takes a it takes a village. It so, does take a especially village, especially when it, uh, to raise a child already. But now. In the case or in a situation where the child has special needs or any kind of type of impairment, it just takes a real village. And I, and I just wanted to be a part of that for other families. That's beautiful because you'd think, I, I don't know that knowledge of you. And I honestly thought that, so you're trying to tell me that you stumbled upon modeling? Yeah. Or it stumbled upon you in yeah, this case? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, modeling kind of stumbled upon me because... I think the first, first, first fashion show I did was a charity fashion show. My friend was like, hey, you want to do this fashion show with me? <laughs> so it was like at the city hall. Like we were, we were a bunch of African kids, Jamaican kids. It was just a bunch of black people in there. And I liked it because it was fun. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do it. I think I was like maybe 15 back then. I was like, oh, I'll do this. This is, this is fun. And when I was 17, 18... I started dating this real model, and she was like, "Oh, you should actually, you should actually come to the agency and check it out." And for the longest time, I didn't go. And when I finally decided to go, they signed me on the spot, and they're like, Whoa. "Oh, you do this, blah 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 blah." It wasn't, it wasn't a good agency. It closed after a year. <laughs> <laughs> it closed after a year. <laughs> but it, hey. they didn't have their shit together. <laughs> it wasn't a good agency, but it was my first step to it's be like, oh. Right. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I could do this for real and make money. And from then, it maybe took like three years before I actually got signed for real because right. I, I did another agency. It didn't work. Right. And when I got signed for real in Canada, that's when things started slowly. Okay, I started making money. Like I would do, I would get like. Maybe seven hundred dollars a job, and, right. I, and like back then, you're a teenager, you're right. living at your like, parents. That's, oh, that's bank, yeah. Oh, that's bank. bank. You're right. good, you know. So yeah, I was doing my little thing, and then from then, I went to Paris, tried getting an agency, and didn't work. So then tried tried New York, and then New York. I tried New York twice. The first time it didn't work, and then the second time, everybody wanted to sign me, and yeah. It speaks. There. It speaks on your resilience. I think that a lot of people look at success stories and see just what we're doing now. Yeah. They have no idea, have no idea. that we've been through like a system that chucks us all out time and time again. No. You know what I mean? So for me, it's like I see a lot of my story in yours because I come from like 
I needed an entry into the music business, but I didn't know how to do it. So yeah. I started as a as an on air personality that opened so many doors for me because I was networking and communicating and learning how to speak to people and just be in the right rooms. Mm-hmm. And that's important for young Africans. I think we just need to be in the right in the rooms. Right, room. <laughs> right. And then the first time, you know, you, you second time, third time, brief familiarity familiarity. And then people start to call you back because they're like, Yo, that's our boy. Yeah. That's our boy. You know what I mean? And then a lot of people don't see that. So they think that you just came out of nowhere and you have this huge success or you have this huge campaign, you have all of this and all of that. And I think the stories that we tell about our success, like our road to success are very important for people to relate to us more often. I speak about my success story all the time so people can just notice that, hey, it's not overnight. It's not overnight. And and we keep hearing... Sophia in the background, which is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful addition to this podcast because I've never had a baby on the podcast. <laughs> He's our first baby. Yeah, there's Tell a little baby crying in the I back. Think for you, nurturing and being a father just comes naturally yeah. based on the story you've told me about your brother. Yeah, and I'm also the oldest of five kids. So, oh. so my, I'll never forget, my mom, she, she, told, she told me, I have kids. Why do I need to do things? <laughs> Why do I need to do things? <laughs> right. Basically, there was a point in my life where my mom did not know how the washing machine worked because that was that our was job. your job. That right. was our job yeah. as a kid. So, yeah. so all through my high school, I had to wake up every day at six, clean the house, make some make food for people, iron clothes, and everything. So, so taking care of people has always been just part of my upbringing right but i think i'm a very sensitive person i don't like to see people in need or in harm so it really inspired me that's really what inspired me to study special care because it's like oh i get to help people and do things i wanted to do i wanted to be a paramedic and my mom was like no why did she say no it's it's one of the most dangerous jobs in the world it's like because you're always in like you're more or less always in a life-threatening situation i didn't know that yeah to think of it makes perfect sense because like sometimes dealing with homeless people or like people with hiv or like people on drugs and first aid on on, on, um after disaster and and things like that so so yeah, yeah, that's one of the most dangerous jobs. So, but I just need—I just always wanted to, to care and help for people, help people. And I feel like at least with modeling, it's a different kind of care because it's a care and like representation. Because mm-hmm. that was one of my, my, th- not my thing, but one of my goals with modeling. I mm-hmm. always wanted to represent my people in a great light. Yes, yes, yes. I'm always, I'm always very cautious about who represents us in especially the fashion world there's a lot of misrepresentation because you know throughout the the course of what's um mainstream fashion in terms of just magazines and like the the fashion shows and so on and so forth you have like one percent black models and when you do it's not like you're just looking at this it's like this is a misrepresentation of our people not only in terms of just the way that they're being dressed Mm -hmm. and valued but also just the way that they don't bring out the best of them of course and i know you know enough about this right so as a as a as a creative as a musician i know well enough about how much we are told not to have kids in our career early or while we're peaking or this and that i know it's different for a guy obviously but every time i think about i've been thinking about it for a while actually and this is something i'm sharing for the first time on this podcast i've been thinking about having a child and I'm like, oh man, but what about, you know, the shows? How am I gonna do that? Who's gonna you know what I mean? I keep I keep 
taking a few steps. What what would you tell me as a young? I think the world has changed now. I f- there was a there was that time where oh, it was looked down on for women to work and have children and blah blah blah. But I feel like in this day and age with social media and with the Beyonces and everything, there's mm. no. I feel like women have pro- proven that there's no limit. Mm-hmm. It only you shouldn't be you shouldn't be penalized for being a woman. Almost, right. you know that's right. what it, that's what it becomes. It's right. like I have the I have the ability to create and to have a, to give life. Right. You know? So and you're punishing me for that. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it's it's a little mis- misogynistic. Mm-hmm. And I think like in this day and age where there's so many really powerful women that we actually see in media, and then that girls have the opportunity to to call role models yeah. that actually have children and right. that actually are doing well like it's, they, they, Beyonce had three kids I think and and like I remember there was that song she did back in the days to something about have children and get back to business yeah and it's strong like, enough to raise a child yeah. and get back to business uh. <laughs> In the bang me. I don't know the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the world, so, girls, exactly. So it's not, it's not, and even, even the mother of my child, even though we're not, we're not together anymore, I still respect her so much because she, she was able to work through the whole pregnancy and right. just, just do Killing her thing the runaway. And, ki- and kill the runway yeah. and do her thing and still, and we have a beautiful and healthy son and she's yeah. still working and I'm able to spend time with my son. So it might be also. In this time, because everybody's talking about gender fluidity and gender identity and all those things. So I feel like it's a point where being a woman doesn't mean just having a kid and staying at home anymore. So it's all these narratives have changed. And I feel Mm -hmm. like it's slowly going to... To the con- back to the continent, but mm-hmm. I feel like we're usually the slowest. Go, we're really, we're really con- conservative in Very general. Very conservative in general. So it's always, um, it's always a, a a tug of war between what's generally becoming the norm and yeah. what's culturally the norm. So yeah. it's um, it's one of those conversations that we all have amongst our peers Definitely. and like, or we don't have at all sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm very touched by your community work and I always say that I think our sole purpose in life is to serve God in our community and I look at the work that you're doing with your brother and obviously with um, you're a trained carer, caretaker I think it's very admirable but at the same time um, you deal with issues on mental health Yeah, and you have a foundation an organization if I'm yeah, me and my me and my family we opened the we opened we opened a center in Canada, mm-hmm. and we could take up to ten to twenty kids all all year long, and it's basically it's basically a safe haven for for the kids. So it's they're in a in a safe environment with other kids with in similar situa- situations as situations as them, but the the center is mainly for the parents because. From my perspective and my understanding, all these parents usually need help. Yeah, they do. Like they don't. A lot of parents don't know how to care for. Like it's already it's already hard to care for a child, but when your child needs a specific attention that you're not trained for, it's yeah. it becomes a little overwhelming. And yeah. I've been in situations where where an 
a child with autism was maybe 12, 13 and still wasn't clean because the parent didn't have the the energy or the training to just have communicate certain things with their child. So right. they just they're just living with whatever issue the the child has and then and that's where that's where the center came along cuz we were like, well, and I saw how my parents were, and we're like, yeah, we should we should make something like this to help other parents right. in our situation and our other families, and and yeah, now the 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 one in Canada is doing really great, so we're trying to open one in Toronto, and in the long run, I would love to open one in LA, like get a big ranch somewhere and just have a nice a nice property where it's nice and green and comfortable. What would you say? to to Africans who don't believe in mental health issues. It's a big conversation. It's a huge conversation. I remember going through a, a time in my life and I have a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine who has a show that's catered towards like having this conversation in Africa. They don't believe in depression. They don't believe in uh, bipolar disorder. As long as it's not someone who's identified clinically insane, it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to them. You're either bewitched yeah. or you're someone, you know, well, when I say that, I yeah, truly mean someone the, the, cast a spell yeah. on you, right? Or, you're, uh, or, or you're, you're possessed or it's one thing or another. It's not ever, hey, actually, there are issues that are in the mind, in the brain, mind, yeah. that are mental health issues. So I remember having this discussion with my friend who owns, who owns this huge television show. She's the writer, director, and presenter for the television show. She has conversations about mental health. And I remember speaking to her about it one time. I said, I feel like I suffer from the occasional depression. I don't know what it is, and I'm willing to address it. I'm willing mm-hmm. to have a conversation about it. And I remember tweeting this one time. I said, I sometimes feel I go through the and at first I was like, oh, I'm just a Gemini. I have super <laughs> high highs and super low lows. And you know what I mean? But I truly understand now that I have moments where I'm, I can't move. I'm yeah. in the house. I'm in the dark. I don't want to eat. I, don't, I can't sleep. I can't focus. I'm irritated by everything and everyone. And I want to speak about it. But who do I speak to? And how do we have this conversation where I'm supposed to be like the strong woman, like out there making this music and powerful. How do I speak on this? And how do I identify it? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I know you probably know more than I do, but how do you, what do you speak on that? How do you identify it first? And number two, what is the conversation we need to have with Africans who don't believe in issues? And I don't know, people in general, it doesn't necessarily have to be Africans. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we, we have a strong sense of community and we forget that like, oh, that's, and it's a little bit different in Africa because you use, somehow always have some kind of support system mm-hmm. when you're back home. Mm-hmm. You always have your mom, your aunt, your grandma, uncle, cousin. There's always someone to make sure you're some type of okay. Yes, we don't necessarily address like our deeper thoughts or deeper feelings and, and how we how we we deal with trauma on a day-to-day basis in a, back home. And they don't realize that when you're here, there's this great sense of loneliness. Mm. Because when you're out here, you're you're out here by yourself. Right. For you to be able to talk to someone, to actually be comfortable, or sometimes even being close to someone doesn't happen here on, on, unless you've curated it or like, oh, you met you met that person and oh, now we're friends, you know. And it's just a support system that we don't have here, and that's why I feel like they have a. Uh, 
to have a harder understanding of like the sense of loneliness that you have in the Western world mm. because they like they grow up. We have you have every always people around like, at all like, times. Like we said earlier, yeah. the village raises Raise you literally. You know? Like I would like let me tell you a funny story. Like growing up during like. Any day of the week, there was like easily five or four aunties at my house and uncles and they're all there. Not for like visits. They would be there like for a short term yeah. stay, which is not less than three mm. months. They would be on the couch, like in our space, eating, like taking, you know, having conversations with my mom and dad at all times. So you were never at a point and they would smack you if you were, yeah. wrong, if you were wrong, like if you're misbehaving, they would literally yeah. act like, you know, the person to make sure you're correct. But, um. It's an unfamiliar concept here, yes. I believe. Yeah, but they, the, they don't. They just don't understand that. Like, oh, that sense of community. Why, why, why are you? Why are you feeling alone? Why are you? What? What's wrong with your mind? What's wrong yeah. with your head? And like, the reality is that mental health is really, really. It's it's just a real thing. It, even even in our community, we forget the amount of trauma that the African individual and the black individual have been through. Mm. And then these are things that we don't communicate, that we don't talk about. Even how how, how the continent's been raped for so long. And then, right. and then the result of that, how it affects us today and mm-hmm. how how oh. certain families and how certain, certain even even in between Africans, we, we interact with each other. And then these are all, these are all problems and issues that we need to address you have such a valid point and your point so, is so and, strong like and unfortunately we're out here suffering in silence because we're i think we're ashamed that's what mm. it is we're ashamed to talk about it you know you're just hitting the nail right on the head like when you speak of just like how we've been raped as a continent as a people and I speak about this all the time. I say sometimes we're battling things that we don't even understand. Like we're carrying the burdens of our ancestors. We're carrying the burdens of people who were colonized before us. And their teachings have been, are seeping down from generation to generation to generation and more neglect instead of, Speaking on it and releasing, we're carrying it on forward from one father to another child to another child. And it's like, uh, when will this end? It's a continuous cycle Mm -hmm. of suffering. And I remember when I spoke about my issue and I did it in a way that I don't want a conversation about this. I want to speak it and I don't want anybody to ask me a question. As soon as I let it out, I let it go and let it go as far as it needs to go. But I remember as soon as I said it, my brother then sent me a text message. He said, me too. Mm-hmm. My friend sent me a message. She said, me too. And it became a whole chain of me too's. And I said, you know what? Actually, it's not right. It's not right. There's too many of us. We're suffering in the darkness. We're suffering in silence. And we need to talk about it. And the more we talk about it, the more we address the, the, the dragon in its face. Yeah. Like, we're like, okay, I'm staring you in the face. Like, let's talk about how we're healing from yeah, this. When I really started doing my classes, I was starting to have like by like it was like a class on behavior and everything so i was like reading all everybody everybody's different behaviors and how different people react to it and blah blah, and all and i remember i'll always remember vividly there was a point where i could pinpoint everybody in my family i'm like oh that's my dad oh that's my mom oh that's my sister and then i came back to them based on behavior based on on behavior and, and and everything and i and my my family my family's really close, so we're really open to to talking about just about we're just open to talking Which about is good our and feelings very and unique. everything. Yeah. 
And I came back to them. I was like, oh, like, well, this is what I'm learning in class. And I actually see your behaviors. <laughs> I, I can identify. <laughs> I can identify. Of course, I started with my brother and sister. So, right. so, so they would like digest it easy, easier. Right. But I think it clicked in their head. They're like, oh, yeah, there is room for healing here. Mm, and an that, improvement. And I think it's uh, that shame mm-hmm. of feeling like, oh, you're sick. There's always right. that shame of feeling like you're sick. Even, even right. It's one thing being sick physically, but now when it comes to men- Mental, the mental, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a certain stigma that's mm. on it, especially mm. in our community. Yeah. So I feel like once you realize that, oh, it's not that you're sick. It's just room for healing. Mm-hmm. It's more, mm-hmm. That's what we, we need to focus on. And I, I like think that. that's how we can bring all these issues on um just spread them wider wider across the continent and yeah. have more people aware of it i think so and i think that i think your voice is going to be loud enough for a <laughs> whole generation right now oh, it's you. important for you to speak on these things and i think that because people associate you with fashion and music they don't expect you to have such a loud voice and to be so vocal and so clear when it comes to issues of mental health and i remember uh, watching a video on Instagram of um, Jessie J, she's a singer, and she was seated at her piano, and she went on Insta Live, and she just started to bawl as she was playing the piano. She's some super melodious keys, and I remember watching that and relating to her so much. We are in a, such a high intensity, high pressure industry where we don't have time to ever reflect, to replenish. I say this all the time. We give so much energy, we never get back. Yeah. We give so much time that we can't regain. And at the end of the day, this is our gift, so it's okay. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is gifted in one way or another. When you give so much and you don't go to a place where your soul, your mind, your body is taking back, filling up. You're a car with no fuel. You're Mm -hmm. a body with no food. And you're a spirit without God. So it's all these things that I keep saying to people that you need to really, really take care of your mind. Because like everything else, it requires care. Definitely. So, I really love that you have really taken on this, and I and I and I'm gonna follow your journey more, so that maybe we can come together with my foundation and yours, and we can do more things for our community, such as this. But now I'm gonna talk about your music, <laughs> because we have a little bit of time, and I just want to hear your vision for your music and what the path is, and your immediate hopes for it. Oh well. If I had to describe my music, it's very soul, jazz, R&B, mm-hmm. old school R&B. Because that, that was my inspiration or like what I was really exposed to being in, being in Canada and having my aunt, my aunt with us. Like, like you said, you had your aunt living with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my aunt just lived with us. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was there and, and she was young back then. She was in university. I remember I was seven, even, even younger. She had like... Tony Braxton, Babyface, Boys to Men. She had all these CDs stacked up right. in her room, and I would go and come, right. and go and steal it and come back. Nineties R and B, and it just, it just always inspired me. And my parents always let me be creative. That's mm-hmm. one thing I really appreciate about them. They always let me, I, I, cause I could draw since as long as I could remember. Mm-hmm. And when when I wanted to do drama, my parents let me do drama. When I whatever I wanted to do. My parents let me do it. I just haven't touched music until now because for the longest time, I just didn't think I, I had a nice voice. Mm. Or I just didn't think I could sing. Mm. And after I moved here, 
I met I met a couple people and they're like, "Oh, you have a voice." I was like, "Bro, I've I've been down this road before. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to do this." Right. And literally finding your voice. The person who is now my manager kind of tricked me into going to the studio. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, I was with another artist and he was pretty impressed by what I did and I was like, "This is the first time I'm at the studio." Right. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, I can't believe it. No, no, you're really good." So, I kept going and I hit up a few producers and my main producer now, it's funny because he, when I was 14, 15, I wanted to start a band. Didn't go too far. We, we barely recorded two songs. But there was this guy that would always send me his beats or he he would tell me like, oh, send me a voice note on your, on, on your phone and I'll make a song with it. And we would go back and forth like this. And so, yeah, after I moved here and I really got into music. He hit me up. He's like, dude, I'm still producing. And at this point, I've been producing for 10 years. Right, <laughs> so so. I, I'm pretty good at it at right. this point. And I was like, and he, he was back in Montreal. So I, I told him, okay, come to LA. And we we hid in my room for, for, for a few months. And one of the songs we made in my room got me signed so oh wow so yeah it ended up being like okay i guess i guess i could do this wow look at that that's a great story but yeah overall i just i just want to give a different image a different i feel like i hear this a lot but a different narrative about what it means to be african doesn't matter how much you hear it it's true yeah because i feel like people have a linear idea idea Mm -hmm. of what it is an african person does Mm -hmm. what it is to be to have african music Mm -hmm. you know and when i was in nigeria i was i I had a conversation with the with the singer neka and she was telling me that she said word for word i'm african already why do i have to try so hard to be african this is my conversation all the time I was like, Ooh. I'm African because Africa lives in me. Then I don't you. have to constantly now stand and walk around in ululation. <laughs> no, come on, guys. Let's stop. <laughs> you know, so I completely relate to that. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for finding time out of your busy schedule and your busy daddy time (laughs) to hang out with us. I wish you the best. You're a great dad. Actually, guys, I've watched him with his son. You just melt. It's beautiful. (laughs) I wish you the best. And how do we keep up with you? Uh, I'm out here. I'm Septum Poppy on Instagram. And on every other handle, I'm just Adonis Bosso. Adonis Bosso. That's nice. Merci. Uh, merci à toi. Et euh, j'espère qu'on va travailler. Euh, ben ouais, c'est bientôt. sûr. T'es à Los Angeles. Faut faire... D'accord. Merci. Faut faire quelque chose. Allez. Allez. From Jam Street Media.